Good morning, everyone. It is a real honor to be with you. Uh, wonderful to have my wife with me. She doesn't always get to be where I am in the world, so uh, thrilled, thrilled for that. As you open your Bibles, please, uh, you might want to look at Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to be referring to a lot of different passages, but we will get into that one in particular in just a little bit. But as you're going there, I just want to say from the bottom of our hearts how much we appreciate you here at uh, Community Bible Church. Thank you for the way you have stood with us. Thomas, that was such a, a wonderful uh, introduction. We just to know that we love you and so appreciate all that you have done as you've stood with us. And it was 38 years ago on a day almost exactly like this that we first uh, were together. And uh, the, the leaves were about as pretty then as well. So very memorable. Where in the world do the years go? My goodness. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't get into all the age-related jokes, etc. They could go on ad infinitum, but uh, just praise the Lord that he has been faithful. And because of the way you have stood with us, we have uh, great things to be able to testify to at, at the way that the Lord is working in the midst of a very fallen, broken, suffering world that we find ourselves in now. And I do want to say that uh, we bring greetings, not just from ourselves, but our kids used to run around. Uh, you know, my uh, kids one time were, re were remembering the way I would come up to them at certain churches, and I would look them in the face and say, now you just keep a smile on your face right now, but I just want you to know that if you keep acting that way, when we get home, I'm going to beat the living tar out of you, and uh, so just keep, you know, we're supposed to be here representing Christ, and they, they used to tell their friends about that and laugh their heads off the way their dad, everybody thought I was being so kind to the children, but those, those, those kids, uh, totally depraved sinners who take after their father, uh, have actually ended up being uh, wonderful God glory bearers themselves. And our oldest two, Marie and David, the two who fought the worst, the two who we all said would, no, in fact, their, their mom used to say, you guys just keep this up. One of these days, God's going to put you on the same team. <laughs> and that's exactly what has happened. Uh, they are together in northern Thailand. And the, the first week that we were out in Thailand at that particular time when they came out and they sat with us and said, isn't it wonderful what God can do <laughs> bringing us and using us as his glory bearers here? And boy, is God using them. But we'll, we'll see if God gives time to weave in some of that as well. But then our third son, or third, excuse me, third child, second son, is with his family in Papua. Many of you know the background uh, from years past of Don's parents and the way he used them so pivotally among the Doni people of what used to be called Irianjaya or present-day uh, Papua is what they refer to it as, the other half of the island of Papua New Guinea, but a province of Indonesia. And they are there, uh, actually Luke is teaching Bible in the Bible school, one, uh, one of the many ministries that his grandfather helped start uh, in that part of the world. So it's really exciting to see uh, him picking up the mantle from his grandfather. And they're in a place where trans migrants are all Muslims. And so it's a very strategic place uh, to work with that church and seeing many of the Muslims brought to Christ as well. So praise God for that. And then our last, who is not in cross-cultural ministry per se, but she is in Columbia, South Carolina, where we are now. And we're there because we're taking care of Dawn's father, and that's an honor for us. We follow the scriptures on that, and though 
We would love to be back in Asia, uh, honestly, yet God has a, a different role for us right now in terms of location, and that's where we are, but that's opened up other opportunities to go to other parts of the world as well. And she, our daughter, is uh, the one who's having the 10th child. By the way, Thomas, it's nine boys and one girl. As I said to somebody just a little bit ago, don't ask us to pray for the gender of your grandkids because it hasn't worked. Ever since about the third boy, we're, please God, give us another girl. Please give us another. And poor Elena, she is something else. I don't know how God's going to use her, but if anybody understands suffering, <laughs> just kidding. It's, it's one girl with uh, nine fane boy type grandsons, you know. Wow, amazing. Anyway, to God be the glory that our kids love God passionately, would have loved this worship this morning with us as we have. Uh, thank you for putting God front and center to everything that you seem to be doing here. Thank you for keeping worship at the core. If you want to know my opinion, we've already had the best part of the service because as we focused on the name of Christ and saw him accurately for who he is, that's very difficult to improve upon. Worship is at the heart of all God has for us. But I want to switch gears if I could and just say that God uh, is calling me to speak to you today about difficult matters, matters that reflect the world in which we find ourselves. But before I get started into this, this theme of suffering, just hear me well. The enemy intended for COVID to be that which would kill and destroy, ruin people's lives, ruin people's livelihoods, and hurt the, the entire world. The whole world is under inflation. If you think our inflation is high here, just go to other parts of the world where they are truly on the brink of disaster because of the inflationary pressures that are on them uh, because of what came out of the global economy and, and COVID. And I just want to say, without any hesitation whatsoever, that our great God is working out his purposes through the midst of all of that. He has done a cosmic jujitsu on the enemy. You know jujitsu, the, the, the Japanese form of wrestling where you use the momentum of your enemy against them. And he has allowed the, the enemy who thought he was going to wipe out the purposes of God within the last five or six years. And my goodness, how God has turned that completely on his head. There are more Muslims. Thank you, thank you. Obviously, we know that that's clapping for Jesus. But friends, there's more Muslims coming to Christ today than ever in the history of the world. And if you've heard people say that there's more in the last 10 years than in all of previous history, you're absolutely right. And if you hear me say today that, that as many as, as happened in the, last, the five years before that has already been doubled in the last five years, that would be right. You absolutely cannot exaggerate the numbers of how our God is at work now drawing the nations to himself. To his name alone be the glory. But it comes at great cost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then jump into this theme. Father, please help us now. We are not interested in hearing the words of any person, and certainly not the words of John Fain. We cry out to you, O oh God, that your spirit would have his way, that you would speak to us, that you would enable these dear brothers and sisters who are within the sound of my voice to be able to, as the Bereans, discern what is truly of you and what is not. And may they put aside anything that's not of you. But Lord, anything that you have for us, just one sentence, Lord, take that, use it, transform us by your might in our inner being so that we might speak accurately from your word, accurately to what is true in our day and accurately to the reality that you really are the God above all gods, the king above all kings. You are the Holy One. 
We worship you. So have your way at this time, and we pray that you would uh, guide in every aspect of what is spoken now. In your name we pray. Amen. The theme today is Christ's power and enablement to persevere in his mission in the face of suffering. I wonder sometimes if we really have dug into the scriptures deeply enough to understand just how significant was the suffering of the early church and the suffering that God was willing to put Paul through. And we need to know that because we need to prepare the younger generations for what is coming. Suffering is coming. Count on it. It's already here in many quarters. It's going to continue. But God was at work in Paul's suffering and in his persecution, using all that he experienced to bring glory to King Jesus, the one who interrupted his life and showed him a whole new way. And never forget that God is doing the same in each one of our lives. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, Hebrews 12, 2. That race for each one of us is a unique and special race that God has for us. But none of us have had to walk the kind of race that Paul or the Son of God walked. Because it was Jesus himself who would say to Ananias, who would go and help this new convert of only a couple of days who was blind, he would say to to Ananias, I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Can you imagine that being your life mission? To put on display before a watching world how much you must suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul would say himself in Acts 20, 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. My own favorite is 1 Corinthians 15, 31. He says, I die every day. Not just physical death, of course. You're talking about dying to self. And it was that man who the Holy Spirit inspired to write the prison epistles, and especially Ephesians 1.11. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Yes, God has a plan in suffering, not just for Paul, but for us as well. What were those patterns of suffering, though, that Paul endured? And before I get into this, I was asked to do this a few years ago in Egypt, living in Thailand at the time. And I'll never forget, they wrote me this and said, we want you to tell us about the patterns of suffering in the life of Paul. And I wrote back and said, you must be kidding. I am an American living in Thailand. And though we missionaries are oftentimes tempted to tell you how hard it is for us, it's not hard to live in Thailand. (laughs) In fact, it's easier than the U.S. Prices are a lot lower. Food's really cheap. It's just a wonderful place, okay? And so I wrote back and said, absolutely not. You've suffered for 2,000 years. You'd show them the pattern of, of, you know, the cost of suffering in the life of Paul. And they wrote back and said, you don't understand, Brother John. You must do so. And I wrote back and said, please, please try a different tack. Don't make me do this. I don't feel right about it. And they wrote back and said, we feel that God wants you to do it. So by the third time, so that we wouldn't embarrass them and me, I said, okay, I'll do it. So this is what I told them. 2 Corinthians 4.8, it talks about Paul being hard-pressed on 
every side. 2 Corinthians 7.5 puts it this way. He was harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside. Fears within. Paul was under non-stop, unrelenting pressure. He was literally, literally excuse me, pressed from every direction, like a crowd pressing in on you, or waves at the beach where you're, you're out and you're in water right up to, you, to, to where you can breathe, and, and you're, you're bouncing off the bottom just trying to take in air, and yet the waves keep crashing over your head. That's what it was like for Paul for over 30 years. He was under incredible physical pain because of what he suffered. He was beaten mercilessly. He endured sleeplessness, stoned. He was whipped, five times receiving 39 lashes. I'm sure you've heard from other Bible expositors why it was 39. Because 40 lashes would kill a normal man. So he was brought within an inch of his life five different times. Can you imagine the scars on top of scars on top of scars on his back? I wonder if God has allowed him, even as he's allowed his son to have that, perhaps we will see it in heaven. I don't know. The scriptures don't say that at all. But that's what he went through. Imagine how tempting it would have been to give up and do something else. But he didn't just face that. He faced rabid mobs, constant travel. He was shipwrecked, daily physical challenges and discomfort. But he had danger from every side. Robbers, religious leaders, fanatics, even terrorists taking oaths to end his life. They swore they wouldn't take another bite of food. That's a pretty radical terrorist until they had put him down, which, of course, they failed in. But there was danger on the open seas, drowning in exposure. This was all a part of his ministry. There was emotional anguish. The apostle Paul, dear friends, was hated by almost everybody he met. He was reviled in almost every context. Yes, there are the handful of believers. Yes, there are those who came to Jesus. But what surrounded them in almost every city were tons of people who said that they absolutely were out to reject this message that he gave to them. And then, of course, there was the mental turmoil. And Paul described that as his most difficult. He was so afraid of, excuse me, of false teaching. He really was concerned. Talk about a pastor who was concerned about the hearts of his people. That was Paul. He did not want false teaching to enter in. So what did it gain him? By the way, when I got finished with that in Egypt that year, um, this Coptic priest, a huge man, huge beard, and the largest cross I've ever seen around someone's neck. It was very impressive. He just yelled out as I'm going off the stage in English, too heavy, too heavy. And I said, I knew it. <laughs> and I got out, and I said, I was weeping. I, just, I said, Lord, I told him not to let me teach on this. <laughs> Do you know that we'd had a martyr from the previous year who had gone out from the conference and uh, that young man came to me and he said, I can't believe what you've just told us. He said, uh, it was so honest. It really was that bad, wasn't it? And I said, yes, it was. He said, you know, Daniel, he was the martyr. He was my friend. He was on the back of a, they had shown the Jesus film, and he was on the back of 
uh, a truck when they were besieged by terrorists who were firing machine gun fire and even mortar rounds. And I think it was one of the mortar rounds actually reflected off the truck and hit them right in the chest. He lived for most of the journey back to the city where they were going, but he knew he was going out, and he looked up at his, uh, whoever the young man was with him at the time, and he said, just tell my father I died for Jesus. And Daniel, who's telling me about that, said, I couldn't even pray, Brother John, for weeks. In fact, this, this whole, it was three months ago, and I just, I can't get it out of my mind. But he said, because of what you brought from the word, not me, excuse me, I didn't mean to put my name in there at all, because of what the word teaches concerning who this Paul is and the way in which he was willing to endure that. He just want, he, I want you to know that, that God has given me new hope. I'm going to go and replace Daniel. I'm going to speak for Jesus in these hard places. Yes, our suffering, the things that, are, that we go through are always redemptive. There's always something that God is about. And what are some of those principles? I believe, first of all, that pain and suffering purify our motives and help us see clearly what is truly of eternal value. It's when we're hurting the most that God is doing his most profound work. So we fix our eyes, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen, that's what's eternal. And suffering helps us to have that razor-sharp focus. I believe a second principle is that pain and suffering remind us that this earth is not our home. Since then you have been raised with Christ, he says in Colossians 3.1. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things. Why? Because we have died. Philippians 1, the passage that we'll get to in just a minute, says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. And if ever there's a generation, we in North America need to hear this message that suffering will be a part of our journey. It is guaranteed. Suffering enhances our compassion for others so that we can comfort them with the same comfort that we ourselves have received from God. 2 Corinthians 1.4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's what Paul wrote through the inspiration of God's Spirit. But there's even more beauty that comes from the suffering. Suffering shatters our lesser dreams so that we may embrace a greater God-given vision. This this Paul, who went through what I just described here, says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles. Can you believe he ever wrote that? <laughs> of all people on earth, to not write our light and momentary troubles, it's the Apostle Paul. But that's what he says, because he says that these light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. I remember when the Thai doctor at midnight after the second surgery woke me up and said, it's not looking good. You got to get back to your home country. We don't think you have long to live. Whew. 
it has a way of shattering our lesser dreams so that we might embrace a greater dream. There was that. There was the healing that you've heard about in previous years. There was the four years of no cancer. And then there was a recurrence that came back. And then there was about 18 months of real pain. Now, I remember when the pain finally stopped. We had prayed and prayed and prayed, Lord, please let the pain stop because it's significant. I remember when the pain finally stopped. I wept. <laughs> I wept. <laughs> I was on my prayer mountain. I remember saying, Lord, please bring it back. Because <laughs> when the pain was there, you were so real. You were so real. Don't let the enemy ever cause you to think that somehow our suffering is for nothing. He wants us hungry for him. He wants our desires after his heart and his alone. He wants the kind of worship we were just having because he wants us to know that there is nothing that can touch that. Nothing the world, the flesh, or the devil can ever do to us that can take away the reality of a God who is there on the darkest of nights, the, the, the deepest of caves, the most difficult of suffering. He is there for his glory. Consider it pure joy, James says, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that this will accomplish just to summarize that which is God's purpose in your life. You see, suffering is a magnificent teacher, enabling us to not rely on ourselves, but on the God we know and serve. It was Paul who would then write in 2 Corinthians 1 those amazing verses. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, of the hardships we've suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life itself. Can you imagine that? We're so quick to judge others if, if they struggle with a day or something. And Paul is sitting here basically saying, I know what depression is. I knew what it was to be brought to the place where I felt as though my life wasn't even worth it. But why? The next verse answers it. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on Christ who raises us from the dead. You see, God is bringing all of us to the end of ourselves. He's going to use whatever means he desires in the days to come for each of us, and he will fulfill his purposes, and he does it so that we might seek him and that we might realize that the pearl of great price is worth far more than anything we could ever imagine. My goodness, time is flying. Do we have time for a story or two anyway? <laughs> So can I just be brutally honest with you? I'm not sure I've told any other church this. But I'll tell you where the idolatry of my heart had to be dealt with severely by the God who was there. We love our kids and we love our grandkids. We have one of those blessed families. It's only God, God alone. He's the only explanation for my kids loving Jesus so much, etc. But he's called us to love each other too and we have a great time together. And when COVID hit, it was so hard on the whole world, and it was hard on us too. And our kids had to leave the field, and they had to come back. But we were all together on property in South Carolina, all living there like hermits or something in this really tight space with all of us uh, in the different homes that we have there with my father-in-law and ourselves. And uh, it was like heaven for me. <laughs> Grandkids were there all the time. Parents were there all the time. I'd say, hey, we have a little holler, you know. Hey, and they, they, you hear, oh, granddad, what you doing? I'd say, I'm waiting for you to come over here and have some chocolate with me. Come on. And they'd come running 
all through the woods. And boy, did we have fun. And it was great. And then they started praying about, well, we got to get back. And they were praying the Lord would get them back, and I'm praying, Lord, just keep them. <laughs> keep it down, you know, keep it tight. <laughs> Don't let anything open up. Of course, you know that wasn't what I was praying. So I would reluctantly pray with them, yes, Lord, please open a door. And God saw fit to do so. It was miraculous, really. They got back in February of 21. We were so locked down here, but they got on this flight, and uh, we're heading back to Thailand, and the others would go just a couple months later. But, you know, it was like February 22nd, 23rd, somewhere in there, and we had our final meal together, all the family together. And, uh, boy, oh, boy, I just couldn't get that lump out of my throat. And I always salute my grandkids, you know, before they go back at night, and they salute back. <laughs> and that night, after finishing the dinner, we, I had to go at midnight because we had to get them to an early morning flight out of Charlotte. And... Uh, yeah. I remember saluting them. <laughs> they all saluted back. And I came home and I said, Lord, that was such a special chapter. I just got to close it. I went to our porch right at sunrise and I said, hey. <laughs> and there was nothing. That eerie silence. <laughs> You know, I've gone around the world pounding the pulpit saying we've got to surrender our children to Jesus. They belong to him, not us. <laughs> I'll never pound that pulpit again. But can I say in all honesty, give your kids to Jesus. They belong to him anyway, wherever and however he wants to use them. And it's well worth it. <laughs> you know why? Because Jesus is worth it. <laughs> Yes, that's pitiful suffering compared to Paul, but it was the idolatry God had to put to death in my own heart. My word, forgive me. I've gone way over time. Let me summarize it very quickly and give you a couple of stories in closing. In Philippians 1, 12 to 29, I see Paul putting it all together. He's chained between the praetorian guards that's like Rome's special forces. Talk about a place not to talk about Jesus is being chained to the special forces who can beat the tar out of you any second. And yet he was so effective, they were beginning to talk about it among themselves. If that wasn't hard enough, the believers wanted to, there were a handful of believers who were so perverted in their motivation that they wanted to make Paul's life difficult while he was in prison and thought that in his weakness, God wouldn't be able to use him. And so they began to share Christ in all these different ways in order to have a greater ministry than Paul would have. Jealousy between the believers, one of the hardest things that you see around the world. And uh, here Paul is, and he says in Philippians 1, 12 to 21, after looking at all that, he, he chained between these guards and doing all that, he would put it this way. He would say that there are those who are trying to add afflictions to my chains in Philippians 1.16, and they thought his situation was weak, but he says, this is, what, this is what puts it all together for me. And by the way, he thought he was going to die. He, there was no reason to believe that Rome was not going to bring the death penalty to him. So he's writing this epistle that became known as the epistle of joy around the world at a time when he thought he was going to die. And can you believe that he would write then at that time, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's all he cared about. 
That was all that mattered to Paul. All that mattered was the going forth of the gospel to the nations. And he knew that Paul would, uh, that God would have his way in his life by life or by death. Because he would say, I prefer to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And so here he is writing this, that all that matters. Can you believe? He's saying rejoice. Great joy. Celebrate. Have a dance. The gospel is going forth among the nations. Prayers of the church in Philippi were God's means to sustain him in his calling. And the spirit of Jesus Christ was the authority and glorious presence empowering Paul to overcome. Yes, this man knew what it was to have an eternal, heavenly perspective. And we can have that as well as we focus not on ourselves but on him. Let me give you a couple of stories to illustrate and I hope bring out these truths for you. Just earlier this year, I was in one of those countries neighboring Israel and it wasn't dangerous at that point, certainly not where I was. But it had some interesting people in it and uh, yeah. But I'll tell you that story in a minute. There's a better one for this. A few years ago, I was in a place that I won't say where with the weirdest class I've ever been a part of, half Iraqi and half Iranian, <laughs> and a Muslim terrorist, suicide bomber, who had just come to Christ within the last six months or so, and a dancer out of a bar from that part of the world, and she had lived through hell for most of her adult life until she came to Jesus. I asked them, I said, did everybody come to Christ, right? Because if you know anything about Iraqis and Iranians in the same space, that's not usually a healthy thing. <laughs> they have a long, long history of rejecting each other. And so they would start, I would start to speak, and they would translate into Arabic. And then from Arabic, they would immediately begin to translate into Farsi. And it was like being in a Middle East bazaar with everybody yelling at once because they were, all of the, these were new believers who were less than a year and a half or so in Christ and they were all so hungry for the word that I would say, at one point I said one sentence and I timed it. It was 10 minutes before it got back around for me to say something else. Because as the Arabic translator starts to translate, they start yelling questions in Arabic. As the, as the Farsi, start, the Iranians start yelling their questions. And they're yelling over each other. And all this is going on. And I have ADD friends. And that was like a living nightmare. It's like, what in the world is going on? And I, yeah, I kept watching this one lady on the front especially. And I thought she was mad at me because they, we kept, we kept, we were, we were, they'd asked me to speak on spiritual warfare. And so we were talking about these different concepts and the things related to Christ's empowerment, etc. But every time I would start to say something, she would immediately start yelling. And the translator kept putting his hand out, please, just let me finish translating. And then he kept shutting her up, shutting her up. And she'd sit there rolling her eyes. And I asked the guy, I said, is she mad at me? And he said, no, she's just so hungry for Jesus. <laughs> You see, that's what suffering does. <laughs> and so that second day, as, uh, as we're getting into it then, and I look at her, and we got to a point, and I forget exactly where it was, but we we're moving into forgiveness issues, et cetera. And as we begin to, to, to move into this, all of a sudden, she just, she, she, you could tell, she, whatever she said shut everyone up. And I thought, whoa, everything got quiet. And she looked at me, and the guy said, yes, you can ask your question. And that lady, who had been a dancer in a bar for years with men doing unspeakable things to her, looked me in the eye and she said, I don't know who I am. Oh, my. 
Have you ever been in one of those moments where it feels like the Spirit of God just brings everything to a focus? And as I looked at her, I said, let me tell you who you are. I said, you are a daughter of the King of Kings. <laughs> and I said it about like that. And she, she is, I'll never forget, her jaw just dropped open. What? I said, you are a princess in the courtrooms of heaven. He loves you more than you could ever even imagine. By that point, she just fallen back. It was like, this is truth too good for me to even comprehend. You could tell it was like truth washing over her as she hears that this God who would send his son did so specifically for her so that she might have life and might be healed completely in the name of Jesus, as we just sang earlier. <laughs> Healing in that name. You know, she sat back. She, it was so great. A couple days later, I'm ready to go, and she comes up to me, this one who couldn't possibly trust a man after all she'd been through. I didn't her left arm was, couldn't even move it because she'd been shot up by a pimp. He, and she couldn't even, but she came and she said, I just want to have a picture with you. And she, she took her, her arm and put it around my waist. I tell you, I was about lost it. And I held on to her, and we put, another girl tried to get in the picture, and she said, get away from here. And, and, and then they take the picture, and I said, I'm sending it to my wife. I said, Dawn, you got to hear this. Just a few weeks ago, I was back in that part of the world. They said, that lady has grown so much in Christ, she's ministering now herself because he will meet us in whatever suffering you have for the glory of the name. Do you have time for one more? Very quick, I promise. Forgive me, Thomas. Just forgive me. I am so, this, is so, this is so way beyond. All I know is this is grace unlimited that you have at your church here. But I think you'll like this story. It's back to that country that was neighboring Israel. And uh, another interesting, interesting class and quite a few Muslim background believers, but one guy in particular, let me get to it fast. We meet him on the first night. I have to use translators. I don't speak Arabic. So I had this, this lady translator, really nice lady, Christian background, but she was there and she's translating. And he starts to tell, tell us, well, first of all, he takes out this folded piece of paper and he said, please just look at this, Brother John. I said, sure. I said, that's amazing. What is that? And he said, this is my vision for my people. And he said, he said that they've taken over my part of the world. It's in a war-torn area, and there, there's nothing left hardly, but uh, the, the people who are there are horrible. It'd be like being under the cartels or under the mafia here in our context. And he said they, they're, they're ruining the young people. They're doing all this stuff. I have, t I have four kids, and two of them are coming of age, and I just want to see, uh, see them saved. And so I wanted to go and start a youth center in the middle of this. And I thought, Wow. <laughs> Hope he keeps you alive because that's an incredible vision. And then he starts to tell us about what had happened to him. He was only in Christ 14 months at that point, and he didn't have a family for 12 because two months after he came to Christ, they took his family away from him. He hadn't seen his kids, wasn't able to talk to them, wasn't able to be with his wife, and that happens in much of the Muslim world. And so it was, it was just a, it was one of those things. I mean, the translator started crying. I started crying. We thought, really, brother, this? Okay, make a long story short. We go through those days with him. We get to the part on forgiveness, and that's always an important point, point when you get to spiritual warfare because the enemy wants us divided, period. And he always wants us to not forgive. 
but Christ gives us the power to do so. And that particular morning, we talked about those things. We wept openly. A number of us told stories, myself included, and we wept at the power of Christ to enable us to forgive. And we got to the end of that time, and it was a late morning, and a break came, and that brother came to me. And he said, please, may I address the class? I said, brother, you can address the class all you want. Take the rest of the day if you want, because we'll, we look forward to hearing anything from you. And he called it, and as we got back together, he was looking down. He, was, he said, I've heard God's word. This is God's word. I love it when new believers just want to follow God's word. He said, it's so clear what the scriptures teach. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive even as Christ has forgiven us. Oh, dear friends, if there's anyone that hasn't forgiven this morning, hear that, that that is God's call to us to forgive even as we have been forgiven. So no one could do anything to me that would be too much because, honestly, I've been forgiven far more than anything you could ever do to me. Anyway, he said, I know it's true, but let me tell you my story. And boy, did he tell us the story. And we heard the details of the best friend who had become his worst enemy, of the one who had taken his business away from him, who had ruined him financially so that he had nothing left, who had, taken, who had gone to the religious leaders and caused them to take his family away from him. And he says, I know this is God's word, but it just feels mustachio, which is Arabic for impossible. And of course, the whole class turns and looks at me. So I said, what that man did to you means that he is a monster. And they all kind of, and I said, and Christ came to die for monsters like that. And that translator, she said, are you serious? Christ came to die for people like that? And I said, yes, he did. Go ahead and tell them. And I said, I know it's impossible for, to forgive, brother. We can't do that in our own, but Christ can give you the power. He can do it through you. May I pray for you? Please. So I ran over and just, you know, it's one of those moments you don't care about any, all the cultural stuff didn't matter. I grabbed hold of this guy. We're on top of each other. The whole class fell on us. They were weeping and crying out to God and praying themselves. They're stroking our hair as we're praying and just saying, please, Lord, help him. Be able to forgive in the power of Christ. We get done and he just keeps saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said goodbye to him a couple days later. I came back to the U.S. I promised him one thing. I am going to pray for you, brother, for your family. And I am going to pray that God gives you back your family. I don't know when that will be, and I honestly thought it might be years. But I get back to the States. I prayed half the way. I remember on the plane. It was just one of those things the Spirit kept putting on my heart. Pray for, we'll call him Ken and his family. So I'm two weeks almost to the day from leaving the country. I'm in North Florida. My phone doesn't even have data on it at that point. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my phone starts shaking. I said, Mustahil, <laughs> impossible. And this is what I receive via WhatsApp out in the woods of North Florida. How are you, my brother? And my love, John. I love English as second language. They always make you feel very important and all that. The Lord bless you and continue with you. I thank the Lord Jesus Christ that you are accompanying me at a moment in my life on earth and you are a great influence for my family and children to return to me. He had just received the call that morning. So friends, suffering is a tough subject. But on that day, at that time, I could not, and I'm not a dancer, but I couldn't stop dancing. And I couldn't stop crying. And I kept saying, it's true, isn't it, Lord? 
this gospel you've given us, this Jesus, your son, it's all true. He lives. You answer prayer. You move in the impossible situations. And he's back with his family now, friends. He sent me more texts. Because our God, does it always happen that way? No, oftentimes people die when you pray for them. But God wants to show us on this morning, at this time, and in this place, that our suffering is not for, any, for naught. It, is, it, has, it has eternal redemptive qualities that only God knows about so that through our suffering, his son's glory will be put on display. And you know that translator who said, you can't be serious? The next day she came to Jesus. <laughs> Because a God who would send his son to die for monsters is a God worth giving ourselves to no matter how much we must suffer for him. <laughs> Father in heaven, oh my, if you can use that sermon, good grief. I'm sorry for not ever putting things in the right time frame. But would you please be with my brothers and sisters here? Would you help them to know how much you love them? Would you let them know that they're suffering, whatever it may be, especially for your son, is absolutely redemptive? Would you give us the, the ability to trust you no matter what you do with us? May we have the cry of, 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 of your, your servant Paul to us to live as Christ and to die as gain, to hunger and thirst after the things that matter, to show this lost and dying world that there is a God in heaven, a God who loves us more than we could ever imagine, and that he is as relevant for the United States of America as it is for any unreached group around the world. So have your way, O oh God. Fulfill your purposes, and may we be the glory bearers that you yearn for us to be. Yes, Lord, may we be the glory bearers you want us to be. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless in his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.